And I feel bad. I feel terrible. I'm sorry. Will you accept my apology? I mean, hell, we're living right next door to each other. If you need a cup of sugar or some cream. I don't need sugar. You don't need any sugar. Well, why don't I take you out to dinner to apologize for my rudeness? Huh? You give me your number. I mean, I already got your address, so you can't get away. Huh? And I'll call you up proper, and I'll ask you out and everything. You want my number. I do. I do want your number. Which number do you want, D George? George. Now, I like the way you say that, George. Uh, well, how many numbers you got? Oh, I got numbers coming out of my ears. For instance, ten. Ten? Yeah. That's how many months old my baby girl is. You got a little girl? Yeah. Yeah, sexy, huh? How about this for number six? That's how old my other daughter is. Eight is the age of my son. Two is how many times I've been married and divorced. Sixteen is the number of dollars I have in my bank account. Eight five oh three nine four three. That's my phone number. And with all the numbers I gave you, I'm guessing zero is the number of times you're gonna call it. Hey, how the hell do you remember your bank balance right off the top of your head like that? See, that impresses me. You're dead wrong about that zero thing, baby. Hi, I'm Madeline, and I'm a writer and a cultural critic. I'm Dave. I'm a comedian and actor. Welcome to Genre Reveal Party, where we talk about TV and movies through the lens of genre, its definition, its limits, and what we can learn by exploding them. Each episode, one of us chooses a TV show or movie to discuss with spoilers, because you don't need to have watched The Thing to enjoy the podcast. We are in season two, called We Don't Need Another Hero. We Don't Need Another Hero. And today we're talking about what we are calling the Women Against Power Plants trilogy, or Women, women Against, against power. power, Women in Power. Women, the word power and the word women are in <laughs> this episode <laughs> title. Uh, it's it, three movies. The China. Oh, I wish I had the I, Silkwood is 83. China Syndrome is 76 Nine. or 8? 79. Nine. Okay. And Aaron Brockovich is 2000. Oh, 2000. Yes. Okay. So that's that's our trilogy. That's our trilogy. And we've got a, another special guest who's my friend and colleague and writing partner, writing accountability partner, Phil Longo. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, um, welcome. Um, Hi. And Phil actually suggested this trilogy to me some time ago, um, and we thought it would be really good for the Heroes season. So each of these film follows, films follows um, like some configuration of a whistleblower and a nuclear power plant or a power plant conspiracy with a law with a kind of a strong female lead or two, but not more than two. Probably, probably. <laughs> <laughs> can't have more than two. There's very much a kind of lone lone wolf quality to these women. Um, so I'm going to go over these very briefly, but I want to just get into the conversation. Their plots are very similar. So The China Syndrome came out in 79. It was released 12 days before the Three Mile Island nuclear accident in Dauphin County, Pennsylvania, um, which is still the worst accident in nuclear power plant history in the U.S. Um, and that was part of the story about this film. That's why I was always told about the film was this kind of coincidence that it was kind of prophetic or something like that. Um, and it gained a lot of media attention for this coincidence. 
It stars Jane Fonda, Jack Lemmon, and Michael Douglas. So, <clears throat> side note, I'm wondering, are we just, like, going to do a Michael Douglas movie every season? So <laughs> weird. Yeah, weird, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but it's okay. I actually really enjoyed him in this, so yeah, um, we same. can talk more about it. But um, let's see. This is the only one of these movies, though, that isn't based on a true story, um, that isn't about an actual mm-hmm. plant even though it's kind of it has a kind of rip from the headlines quality to it too um so skipping ahead we've got silkwood which is about the life of karen silkwood she died in 1974 december 1974 um in a car crash while she was investigating a cover-up at kermagee plutonium plant where she worked and Jane Fonda had actually like originally been set to star in this, but Warner Brothers was subpoenaed to share the film's research materials, which set back the production. And there's kind of a saga getting it getting it made. Eventually, it got to Mike Nichols. Um, this was his first collaboration with Nora Ephron, and um, it's starring Kurt Russell and Cher alongside Meryl Streep. Um, both of whom did not have a reputation for this kind of acting. So it's it's a pretty interesting movie. Um, and then lastly is the one that probably most people have seen who are listening, which is Erin Brockovich, the movie that Julia Roberts won her Oscar for, um, her first collaboration with Steven Soderbergh. Um, it's about her portrayal of a single mom, legal clerk, I wrote push-up bra expert um, Aaron Brockovich, <laughs> who in 1993 started the historic case against PG&E over groundwater contamination in Hinkley, um, California. So, I don't know. Those are the broad strokes. We're going to get into the details, but I'm going to leave it to that. Yeah, let's chat. Phil, when did you come up with this like link between these three movies? I felt incredibly clever when I rented them, but I also was really upset that the um the guy working at the video store didn't say anything when he saw <laughs> these movies, but I I love the connection. They're so obviously a trilogy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a long story, but it actually goes to, so when I was doing my dissertation, I had a friend who was in physics and he's like, what's your joke footnote? And I was like a joke footnote. And he put in a joke footnote in his dissertation about like Homer Simpson working at like a nuclear power plant. So I was um, writing on this novel by Tony Cade Bombara called The Salt Eaters, which actually also has a very similar plot to these movies where the main character works at this chemical plant slash nuclear plant called Transchemical. And essentially, it's this like metaphor in the book between like this corporate entity kind of stealing the town's power and them fighting back. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, immediately thought of Last Exit to Springfield, the Simpsons episode where the uh, workers go on strike. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute, there's also China Syndrome and Silkwood, which I had seen. Um, and then a little bit on, I added. Um, Aaron Brockovich. And I would say there's one other thing that's weird about this. And in that footnote, I also talked about 
there's a section of David Mitchell's novel Cloud Atlas, which um, is like six different stories. Um, and in the movie, if you remember, um, this is the character played by Holly Berry. And it's this kind of 70s plot where um, I can't remember if she's a reporter or just some random person who gets documents from a nuclear power plant and mm -hmm. gets run off the road. And it's this kind of another trope. And so I you know, kind of put that all in there. Um, and, you know, there's something really odd about how all of these movies kind of fit together mm -hmm. of this, like, kind of woman essentially going it alone against this super powerful entity that um, is also kind of tied up with labor as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in different ways. And you also, you you watch Norma Ray to Oh yeah, and I also watch Norma Ray too. And that does seem yeah. like another I mean it's it doesn't it doesn't fit perfectly, but there's Norma Ray um kind of inflections especially in in Silkwood because she's also a labor activist in um uh, in the union, right? Yeah, know. yeah, exactly. So can I get clear on something? Is it a is it an overarching theory of this trilogy that you have, Phil, or is it just the observation that these belong together? I'm here for either just, one. Yeah. It's an observation. Um, it's one of those observations. Be like, why? Like, why do I keep seeing, you know, women power plant mm -hmm. roughly in the 70s through the 90s? And mm -hmm. obviously, like for me, the overarching theory leads to you know, you have these women entering the workplace and kind of discovering how terrible the workplace is mm -hmm. and how terrible their employers are and just like not being able to handle it. Um, and all of those kind of have that, this just like shock of the injustice of their system. And then, you know, having, and then there's also just something fun about this corporate intrigue, right? It really picks up on this kind of like 70s suspicion of government and corporate entities narrative that creates this like really fun thriller vibe. Mm -hmm. um, and it also sets up like a super moral clarity. It's like no one could be on the side of an evil nuclear corporation. Like, you know, it's there's no way that you cannot be positioned that these people uh, who are going up against these power plants are like the most virtuous. I mean, I also associate it very much with like, you know, kind of like consumer interest groups um, in the 70s and anti-nuclear movement mm -hmm. um, in this, you know, very kind of like Ralph Nader kind of way. Hmm. Yeah, the most you can be is like anti-union. I feel like there yeah. is a thread of like, oh, the union's going to ruin this and keep working people from being able to work, mm -hmm. which is how unions were kind of portrayed to me as a kid. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're right. The moral clarity is a, is a funny element. And there's yeah. something really um, like the union bad guys are all like the D.C. National Union bad mm -hmm. guys, yeah. mm -hmm. like Ron Silver, you know, in Silkwood. And, and, you know, the other kind of union guy who you just see in D.C., they're the ones who aren't really representing the actual workers at the plant. Yeah. Um, I was really interested in it as like a variant of the and I've talked about this on the on the podcast before, like the 70s conspiracy, which I've 
genre, which I've written about and I'm I just like keep returning back to, but I was I was really interested in how this messes with that genre, which is so reliant on the figure of the rational subject. Um mm-hmm. and like the white man who's a let's say a graduate student researcher as Dustin Hoffman in Marathon Man or like an investigative reporter like in All the President's Men or um just these observational kind of like um figures who um or like listening figures i just watched blowout with um john travolta and he's like um an audio guy like he makes sound for films mm-hmm. so he's constantly re- recording things right so these like very rational archival kind of men um and yeah, that's really interesting about these women is that they're they're not rational, but they're moral. And like that's the kind of contrast. Like Karen Well, but Jane Fonda maybe. has the has the journalist piece, even though they, she's yeah. a puff journalist. And they're yeah. all really I mean, they're smart and inquisitive and organized and methodical, just like, you know, these men in these highly rational hyper rational men in the conspiracy films but those men actually lack this looking at it the other way they kind of lack this moral dimension um as well right like they're it's often like questionable what they're motivated by or things like that whereas all of these women are like they care about the truth and what's right and um i don't know you're never one. There's an obsession with it, though, too. There is obsession, yeah. Um, um, but I well, don't they're know. all underestimated too at the beginning. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it, they're they're rendered yeah hysterical, which is also kind of the interesting thing about the the seventies male figures, right? Is like how hysterical they're they're treated in the in these films where but they're the ones who the only rational subjects actually they're surrounded by people who are like living in a fiction or a lie or something like that um so i don't know i was just kind of interested in in the echoes of that and like i know you know this phil but um so Nora efron used to be married to carl bernstein right um and she actually like she wrote heartburn about their divorce um but she co-wrote with him the one of the versions of the uh script for all the president's men um which didn't get used but i think that might have even been her first screenwriting experience was trying to doctor something with with bernstein um carl bernstein so, is was also a screenwriter and he wrote all the president's men no, he's the one of the reporters in All the President's Men. Oh, right? he's okay. Like Bob okay. Woodward and Paul Bernstein. Dustin oh, Hoffman. Oh shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, he's the one who's played by Dustin Hoffman. But um but that's why I mean that movie came out like right after Watergate too. It was a really kind of wild um current events like film there's like a lag between silkwood and the actual event that had happened you know it's yeah yeah because she died but, in 74 yeah um and i know they tried to make it really quickly afterward but they just couldn't um 
So I don't know. They're kind of interesting. Interesting. Um, I don't know. Overlaps between those genres. And I like the idea of Nora Ephron divorcing Carl Bernstein and then like writing her own version of like <laughs> conspiracy film with Silkwood um, with her with her co-writer Alice Arlen. Um, and then, you know, starting this career of her own. So. It really did not fit with my idea of a Nora Ephron movie. I know. I wanted to talk about that because it also yeah. didn't fit with my, I mean, Mike Nichols is a pretty um, fascinating director because he does like jump around like aesthetically and genre right. quite a bit, right. but it didn't feel like a movie by either of them. Um, yeah, I would say because there's something very it's like a very almost like it's a thriller, you know, the genre, the genre of like the thriller and the investigation. I would say where I saw that there's and this is when I was watching it again in Silkwood, there's so many kind of just little tender moments at home, you know, especially mm -hmm. between Dolly and Karen, um, you know, after, you know, the um, share character. Yeah, the share character. And that, for some reason, to me, felt very Mike Nichols. Um mm -hmm you know, that there was this kind of really great performances between the actors that were really kind of, you know, getting at some interpersonal drama. And yeah. so for me, that was like the only glimpses. Um, it, you know, it definitely kind of softened up the movie. Um, I, mean, I didn't realize how much the movie is Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. There were definite like Who's Afraid of Yeah, Virginia yeah, exactly. Woolf's the house was moments. more prominent in the movie than I remembered. Hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and like also, mm -hmm. well, then yeah. is Nora Ephra like, because I was imagining, I don't really have a conception of like what binds Mike Nichols movies together. I haven't, I've seen like Closer mm -hmm. and The Graduate mm -hmm. and not that many more. I know him more as like coming up in improv, like this was one of the foundational oh, yeah. guys yes. who paved the way for all of us. But um, it's it, so it, so I was imagining that. Mike Nichols and Nora Ephron's style was at odds a little bit, but Nora Ephron is kind of the domestic person as well. So it almost seems mm -hmm. like maybe it's a misfit of like subject matter to these more interpersonal drama oriented folks. I don't know. Well, I just think that they were both finding their footing in the seventies. And I, that's why I mentioned the, all the president's men connection. So, you know, she had, the experience she had at that point was working on that script. Um, and I see, I see the influences of, of that genre in that moment. And she hasn't figured out her kind of when Harry met Sally. Thing right. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. Um, but the next movie that she did with Nichols was an adaptation of heartburn. It just seemed like they were really mm -hmm. committed to figuring each other out. Um, and I don't know if either of you have, read or know about that no novel but i i'm a big fan no um yeah it's actually i mean it's it's a pretty great novel um but a horrible movie but meryl streep plays her in the movie <laughs> and jack nicholson say... plays bernstein which <laughs> they're just both kind of a huge misfit for me nah. <laughs> There is something about, and maybe it's just kind of like the Merrill connection, but there is something about Karen Silkwood's character 
you know, she is, there's a, a fun to her and a kind of like, you know, carefreeness at mm. her surface for a lot of the movie that seems very Nora Ephron to me. I mean, she's yeah. a little funny. Yeah. Yep. She's yep. a little, she's like, you know, clever quirky. and rhyme, a <laughs> little quirky. But honestly, you know, so annoying. Sexy, like, but unassuming. <laughs> so annoying though. In yeah, that lunchroom so scene, I'm yeah, like, no. Why is this lady eating everybody's fucking lunch? This is horrible. <laughs> and she thinks she's so cute. I would be like, the know, minute she exactly. walked out of the lunchroom, I would be like, what the fuck is with Karen? Why is she like eating our lunch? The, the new guy, the new guy, she's just like, what's that? It's like a fucking noodle or something. Can I say what movie this reminded me of was um, Alien? Like a lot. Is it just the haircut? No. <laughs> the haircut is amazing it's It's, like such a trendy haircut right it's a 2023 mullet it's a 2023 mullet yeah uh no notice kurt russell who is also like rocking some 2023 vibes i know but he's so his character's such a dud in the in that movie i think oh so i think he's so boring i think kurt russell is so hot and and in this movie he's just wallpaper yeah. Oh, really? He's like all I would want from a guy who's just like at home fixing trucks shirtless. Like he never wears a shirt that whole movie. I know. It's great. But I think I think Aaron <laughs> Eckhart is hotter in Aaron Brockovich. And, oh, and yeah, despite but his facial the hair is just dis- the worst. Despite the weird facial hair, despite the ponytail, his shit is is Yeah, that's true. For a that's weird, true. I'm like, I would never pin that as an Aaron Eckhart character. I thought he was very, but uh, Madeline, I want to hear the alien comparison. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking, okay. The other thing about the Mike Nichols thing is I associate his early stuff, especially with using music so much like the graduate. Mm -hmm, And I was mm -hmm. really struck by Silkwood's silence, like these quiet moments and how it builds tension while you're watching them do this work. You're just like, this is not safe. I can see all of these safety hazards all over. They're just so glaring, but the camera work is just very still and it's quiet and you're just listening to them have this kind of like mundane banter layered over that. And it really reminded me of how alien builds tension and Mm. how that movie actually is a really great movie about a a very dangerous workplace. Like it's, it's, it's (laughs) to say the least, but it's, I never thought about it that way. Like they're talking about their wages and things like that. Some people are getting paid a lot more than others. Um, uh, it is a workplace. It's, it's, it's the worst. There needs to be an alien union movie, (laughs) uh, like unionizing the ship. Against oh my God. the fucking <laughs> xenomorphs. <laughs> well, it kind of um, just reminded me of like Alien mashed up with, yeah, the domestic shot. Like those spheres feel so separate, and you're always watching them like drive between these pl- between the plants, just sterile and white, and like you know. Terrifying. I would say the same thing. Yeah, I would say the same thing with China Syndrome. Like both mm. of those movies get a lot of mileage out of confinement. Yeah. Um, and being kind of in these. And I think both of I think all three of these movies, the light lighting yes. of the indoor and yeah. the outdoor is so stark. 
Yeah. Um, especially in Aaron Brockovich. Especially in Aaron Brockovich. I mean, Aaron Brockovich, I thought was really interesting. They never really go into the plant. You never really see the plant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, yeah, right. you know, the plant itself in China Syndrome and Silkwood is both this kind of terrifying, terrifying place. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's this kind of going in and out of it and there's no light on the inside and it's all kind of like strange machinery and it's very kind of alienating. And I think that's one of the things that for Silkwood, you know, like when they have the birthday party in mm-hmm. there and she has to like, like clean the no, cake don't do that. and you're like do right not do, don't like, have yeah cake in this room, and there's please, this weird kind of like you know camaraderie and fun between the workers i mean she gets they get like lingerie for her present like her that was really present. yeah that is funny that was, like yeah. has anyone like in your workplaces ever given you i mean that's at this present, point that's like a harassment like suit maybe yeah totally um i'm not gonna yeah that and question. so there's this real kind of like <laughs> mismatch no, between them <laughs> what was that are you gonna get me that now Madeline? yeah you're my co-worker so i know i could <laughs> I don't, i've never but even gotten like a cake for not. my birthday at work academics no. don't do shit like that no they i've don't. been at workplaces where they do monthly cakes so anyone whose yes. birthday oh, is that month and you're like what the fuck is this yeah it's just yeah it's dumb right it's dumb, but um, yeah, I I appreciated that too, and the use of colors in China Syndrome. I did okay. We can talk for however long you need to, Phil, about Jane Fonda's hair in that movie. No, oh, it's the warm. I love color it, and I hair. hate it. I know you do, but the warm color of her hair and her everything around her, right, is this really beautiful contrast with that stark white terror that you you feel yeah. in the plant yeah you know well i think what's really interesting i mean i want to put these movies together in a lot of ways but when i actually think of the main character of you know kimberly wells versus karen silkwood or aaron brockovich they actually i would say silkwood and brockovich are very similar in terms of how they're characterized in the movie where what's interesting about kimberly wells is played by jane fonda is that even though she's sexualized by her men, she actually like goes out of her way to desexualize herself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's hard to watch Jane Fonda in this like very bland, like she's wearing mm-hmm. this like beige plant suit, like almost the entire movie. <laughs> um, she has no love interest. Unlike these others, she doesn't flirt to get her way. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she lives alone. Have to. She doesn't. Yeah, have she to. <laughs> she doesn't have to. I mean, like she's like very much signal signaling that, and she doesn't. You know, she'll she'll she embraces doing like these birthday party and whales and all of the soft news because she's actually a real journalist. But mm-hmm. the movie never lets you forget that like she's a real journalist. Um, and her there's that scene. There's only really one scene where you see her at home where she has a turtle. Right? Yeah. Like a pet turtle. <laughs> it's wild. Just carrying around. It's not a small, it's not a pocket it's a turtle. It's, like it's a, a fucking tortoise. You see, like the Galapagos ass turtle. Not explained. It's like no. totally not explained. So good. Yes. Like, as yeah. like, oh, this is just a normal single woman living her modern life oh, in LA, going home to give that. lettuce to her tortoise <laughs> and share. Um, she like takes a, a fuck it. What are they not? A leaf of lettuce. Uh, for herself yeah (laughs) i know it's like and so the you know like the vibe you get of her is like oh she doesn't have time for her personal life she's dedicated to her work 
you know, her mom calls and like, she's like, oh, whatever. This is her um, version of a husband and child is, is this tortoise. Is, <laughs> yeah. This tortoise. Yeah, who's like never that. mentioned again. <laughs> Doesn't need to be. Doesn't well, need I like to be. at the very beginning of China Syndrome, she is displaying technical mastery. She's on the, the, mm-hmm. um, the, the earpiece and is she's like really good. Yeah. She's, she's really, really good. good. And she's I like mean, directing traffic. She's getting people out of the way. She's aware of all the shit that's going on. Mm-hmm. I would say that her lack of sexualizing herself maybe keeps her in the world of the movie, keeps her in soft news a little longer than she wants to be. Mm-hmm. Like if she mm-hmm. were to sexualize herself, I could imagine that that is a very like familiar story of like, doing the thing you want by offering this part of you. Mm-hmm. Um, but she yeah. does get there eventually, you know? Well, she's also news. very calculating. Right. I'm yeah. <laughs> she, I will. I mean, she's also very calculating in a way that, um, you know, Silkwood and Brockovich are not, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would say like, she's actually not super, she's like hyper rational, right? She's hyper aware mm-hmm. of going on. She's not, you know, kind of making all of these risky outlandish moves. Mike Douglas is actually the one who's doing that. He's the irrational one. He's hysterical. (laughs) Um, And she's like trying to like smooth things over with the network and play the long game. And, you know, and it's not really, and Jack Lemmon is hysterical, you know, and, you know, she's the one who's like dealing with these hysterical men. Right. Well, and I think, what made these so there's the woman against power right that is, that is a through line for all of them mm-hmm. and i feel like it's one of those um three three circle venn diagrams where there are certain things that multiples have in common but not all of yeah. them mm-hmm. and the one thing that china syndrome and Aaron brockovich have in common to their massive credit are these really compelling and it's no coincidence that they're like older character actor figures who are like the the a the i mean ed ed marley or masley or whatever his name is and aaron brockovich is not hysterical Mm -hmm. but like these these like anywhere from cranky to manic characters Mm -hmm. but there's not one like that in silkwood and i think it kind of suffers from that lack of interplay for me at least Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, because I would say for both of the, I mean, the, you know, the scenes between Jack Lemon and Jane Fonda are absolutely amazing. <sighs> yeah. And um, and the same thing, you know, Julia Roberts and Albert Finney are just amazing together. And I would say, yeah, Silkwood doesn't have that. I mean, there's the thing with kind of Ron Silver, but the thing with Ron Silver is actually, you know, just to bring in Norma Ray for a second is like the exact plot line from Norma Ray, you know, that it's this kind of, you know, national union guy who is, you know, somewhat sleazy and playing on the idealism and work of, you know, this kind of uh, local worker even though obviously it's a little bit more even of an exchange than that, but it's still like kind of that, but there isn't, I would say like, and that's one of the things that I find terrifying about Silkwood is like, no one has her back. Yeah, She's like going it alone where, you know, what's interesting about Erin Brockovich and China syndrome is yeah. It, these efforts are being led by this woman, but it's like an ensemble that is like fighting together. Like Karen Silkwood is literally all alone. 
Yeah. Even her housemate or even her lover and her fucking, Mm -hmm. you know, friend who wishes she were her lover uh, are, yeah, are just not there, are just like, would you stop it? Would you? They can't show up for her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's definitely okay. One of the rankings is just like, how depressing are these movies? And Silkwood is. Oh, Silkwood number one. Yeah. It is so depressing. And I think. So I do remember seeing at least parts of this when I was a kid, but I really associate, I like mash it up with that moment in Meryl Streep too. The movie she did right before is Sophie's Choice, which I will mm. never see. Um, but she was just in this moment of really intense, emotional, tra- tragic films, right? Um, and. I was kind of surprised that there were funny moments in Silkwood. I was just ready for something really, really bleak. Yeah. That would have been tough to take for that whole running time. I know. It almost made me, it it made me a little bit. Meryl Streep is so charming. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. as, as like one of her, uh, you know big tools as an actor but i almost i was like i i i almost got sick of meryl streep in this movie yeah i was i was like like when they're when they're laughing at the roommate having sex she and uh kurt russell oh, i'm yeah. like mm-hmm. is this that funny like j- just the like <laughs> and she's so likable she's such a like like stereotype of like the, and she's not weak in other parts of the movie. So maybe this is bogus on my part, but she's just so like, oh my God, like so related. Like she's so good at what she does that I'm like, this feels like it's covering up for something. Like, where's the darkness in this person? I don't know. In Meryl Streep mm. herself? Is that in, yeah, a little bit in Meryl <laughs> Streep herself. Yeah. Is it like, yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> no, Meryl Streep, I, I agree. Like, there could be a little. I think what, and I think that gets to the heart of like, I think in some ways the kind of naivete and problem with these movies is that, you know, they leave, you know, like at the end, I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to go out and like, you know, fight <laughs> PG&E. And it's like this, this Not kind of naive so moral clarity, which can't really give the characters like much complexity other than like, oh, they're neglecting their home life. You know, that's Mm. like the failings of these women is that they're too obsessed with this journey or this of discovery that they don't have a home life or they're leaving their kids with Aaron Eckhart, which, you know, seems to work out okay. But well, that's uh, interesting. Getting back to the Venn diagram, we have the tortoise with uh, with Jane Fonda, but then the other two, they are about women who are. I mean, Karen Silkwood is a bad mom, okay? Um, yeah. yeah. She abandoned her kids and does not, um, like, seems to regret having had had children um, yeah. and is not accountable to her children in the way that she's accountable to, you know, this search for the truth or, you know, uncovering this conspiracy, right? And... Aaron Brockovich is pretty interesting for how it um how it thinks about that um 
Well, she's doing it all for her kids. Yeah, she says that frequently, and you're rooting for her to be doing this, and she isn't a bad mom, right? Like, No. We see the ways in which the world will cast her as a bad mom, but we believe firmly. Like, she's a good mom. She's doing the best she can. Um, Yeah, so that's that's a pretty dissimilar streak between them, I would say. Like, it's specifically over children and their, like, maternality, right? Like... There's no point in Aaron Brockovich where where you're doubting that at all, right? Yeah, right. and I and would say yeah, in Silkwood, which um, you know, I I thought one of the most interesting things looking at Silkwood is just the kind of domestic patterns and domestic life that happens between you know these three workers, mm-hmm. um, you know, with Kurt Russell and um, Meryl Streep are obviously you know together, and then they have Dolly played by Cher, who's just you know I. I want to laugh at Cher in this, but like you can't. Like she's really good in she's this role. So the first line where you hear her accent was funny to me, and then from then yeah. on out, like I, I lived in Oklahoma for a lot of my life, and mm. I don't, oh, yeah, I don't remember the Oklahoma accent. But the accents are consistent enough that I don't care if they're like accurate to the place. Yeah, but, yeah and yeah. Cher's accent. Is super fucking consistent. I like after that first line where you hear it, you're like, okay, this is how this character sounds. Mm-hmm. Cher was fucking on point in this movie. She was really yeah, good. She yeah, was really and I admire good. the risk that they took in casting her. Um, because it's not like she was some unknown. I mean, she actually had to do mm-hmm. a lot of work of disentangling herself from yeah. her iconicity at that at that moment, you know? And this was a really big transition for her um i mean i i don't know if i've ever seen her that good though um in an act mermaids <laughs> mermaids okay. i love mermaids <laughs> i love moonstruck yeah I watched, no, I know what you, you know mean. well-worn vhs tapes from my childhood but um <laughs> She's really compelling and and like heartbreaking in this movie. Um, She's really subdued. Um, Yes. You know, it almost and I think part of it is just kind of her makeup and hair that she doesn't look pretty. She doesn't look like Cher. She Mm -hmm. just kind of like fades into the background. And in many ways, you see how like she's dealing with all of this shit around Karen and um, Kurt Russell's character, whose name I'm forgetting. But, um, you know, exactly. she's having to, like, kind of navigate between them and also, like, being in love with Karen. And mm-hmm. yeah, I love her, like, you know, mortician girlfriend. <laughs> that, she's like, that little bit was, unsung like, hero of this, that movie. She <laughs> yeah. fucking rules, dude. That character is so good. I love that character. I like her, too. Yeah. And it's weird because it almost seemed like a distraction Um, from the rest of the movie it's like almost it was like you know putting in this like additional kind of like lesbian plot just to have some sort of like you know political moment or something but actually it doesn't do that um you know it gets so close to that it does Um, yeah i mean it comes out of nowhere The, the the moment where Cher just is like i like blurts out i love you and then yeah. is like not in that way I, I, to the point where I was right. like, what does she say? Is, is this a romantic confession or is this just a particularly loyal friend confession? And, and obviously realizing it's 
it's like as a sexuality about thing. that as the as the and you know how karen died right like it's yeah. raising suspicion right in in the other direction like it does it does seem to imply that that she was oh a hundred percent like i feel that as much as it could do that legally like it does do that right um, well but then at the end with the with the like the the title cards at the end it talks about all the like substances in her system and that seemed to me to be like totally absolving anyone else it's like well she probably i think know, that they were legally I, I don't know the whole story about the actual explanation given right. in the end, but I just think that they were facing a lot of legal pressure around the making of the film. Um, yeah, but that is the thing that I remember the most about Silkwood when I was a kid, was not having seen it, but having like this um, film history book that I'd piece or page through. Mm-hmm. and this glossy image uh promotional image of the three of them kurt russell Cher, and meryl streep like just just draped over each other in this like incredibly erotic way and i had like never seen something like Mm. i just found it so i don't know provocative like what's going on between these three you know and i i don't know It, it it does kind of like articulate the weirdness about this movie it's like you wouldn't base or you wouldn't assume that that's a movie about like a plutonium plant. <laughs> yeah, 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 like, exactly. I just had a really different impression of, of the film based on all of that. I don't know if you all remember those images, but they were, that was like how they promoted the movie. All yeah. The I mean, I did look up the poster and yeah, there's, you know, the poster is like the three of them. And then there's another one where it's just like the last scene where you see like the bright light. In yeah. The back yeah. That's the one I saw. Yeah. Where she's yeah. looking in her rear view. Mirror. I loved, I mean, the ending of the movie, um, I would say it's the least successful ending of the movies mm-hmm. out of these three. Mm-hmm. Um, I, cause I could not stop laughing um, because <laughs> obviously it's like super tragic, but, yeah, but yeah. like one of the jokes, and we also have to talk about like, <laughs> I would say man. another part of the two Venn diagram that Silkwood and Aaron Brockovich is boobs. Um, you know, and there's this whole right, like right. running gag of like, you know, Karen just like flashes people and like there's this slow-mo of her singing Amazing Grace and it shows like her flashing Kurt Douglas for the last time. Like not Kurt actually, Russell. she's wearing the t-shirt. She's showing that she's wearing the t-shirt, but she does yeah. that little like open trench cart flash move and when they're like re-editing the last few minutes, it's like, oh, Karen Silkwood, she just died. And she's like, whoa. <laughs> that is That's really the part funny. I hated. I was I, I kind of liked, you know, watching the car get towed back to Yeah, to the yeah, bar that's and great. To, and to see all the workers, but do you really need to flash back to the scene <laughs> that you just showed? <laughs> that you just like, showed like, four minutes yeah, ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. need this. Like, yeah. like that felt so unnecessary. I was really I was really upset because I was like, this I don't know. That just felt really cheap to me. That yeah, yeah, that yeah. one part of that that sequence though. I mean, the ending of China Syndrome is just so good. Ugh. Like yeah, you know, I mean, because I what think what happens after Jack Lemon gets shot? Remind me. So of he like gets the shot, and then they go outside, and the um, power company, California Gas and Electric, um, mm-hmm. is um, 
the you know the PR guy is out there saying you know blaming it all on Jack Lemon yes, yes and yes. saying this was a hot situation and Wilford and he was drunk and then Wilford Brimley comes out and right. you know right. um uh, and Jane Fonda goes up to him and like gets him to admit that this guy wasn't crazy blah 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 mm-hmm. and then she's trying to do her final report and she's like holding back tears mm-hmm. and it's what I think even, she's crying. She's crying, right? She's crying yeah. and trying to remain composure. And this is maybe the first time she in the movie she's really showed that much emotion. Um, exactly. And she's trying to do her job, and she's like struggling through it, and she just nails it. That's right. You know, and the and I love one of the things I loved about China Syndrome is it actually reminded me a lot of Network, which is another kind of yes. 70s mm-hmm. TV movie where you get these scenes from inside. It starts from inside the um production studio at the news um right, or the right, control right, room right. at the news, and it ends yeah. that way too yeah. and so we're like seeing this all through tv and it, i just thought it was you know she just kind of nails it and it's this you know tragic moment um that you're like you know it's definitely one of those like you know i want to be a journalist now movies you know right, where it's like right. uh, she spoke right. truth to power but that um, is her version of that um, male 70s conspiracy trope, right? Where she does, she's highly proficient. She fucking nails it. She does all these things. But also she has that moral dimension shown through her tears, right? Like, yeah. That she's able to to show her tears and not be hysterical is this like amazing feat in that it, it's such a satisfying mm-hmm. conclusion Okay, so let's talk about the end of these three movies. We just talked about the the other two. Well, wait, I want to go back to oh, the thing you sorry, you were saying. No, no, no. Yes. The thing you were saying about Silkwood about yes. and about the like domestic drama-ness of it, just in yeah. terms of the genre question. And I feel mm-hmm. like uh with this podcast, we very rightly praise genre fuckery uh mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. much. But I think it is the genre fuckery of Silkwood that makes mm-hmm. it the 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 most um uh the the the, the, the it's it's like the, the most it's the most confused about genre I think mm-hmm. and to and that's what part of what makes it the worst one of the three in my opinion Ooh, um and, I don't and, know okay if okay. I would agree with that. I okay. would say that they're all genre fuckery. I mean, because, I mean, if you're going to say like China Syndrome, when I, so my first encounter with China Syndrome was in the movie Wet Hot American Summer. Okay. Janine Garofalo has this joke about how it's like the campers want to see a China, the China Syndrome again. And so this is, this is like, I don't know, when did Wet Hot American Summer come out? Like 2003, 2004. Right, right. And that's right. when I first watched China Syndrome. And in my mind, I was expecting it as like a kind of 70s disaster movie. This was Mm -hmm. the Poseidon adventure. This was like 70s sci-fi. And there are some elements of that. It is. And that's definitely how it was marketed. And, you know. Yeah. yeah, And so I thought it was kind of that. But then I was like, oh, okay, it's a whistleblower movie. But it's actually Mm -hmm. also a journalism movie, which Mm -hmm. is also kind of the same thing. And it's also like this like you know, women in the workplace movie. Um, Right. But okay, if we look at like just that one scene where like I was talking about like the layers of you have all these layers from 
the conspiracy film and then it's feminized and kind of has this moral dimension right like i think it's a i think it pulls that off right and i guess oh I yeah yeah and Silkwood doesn't so much genre, pull it but off how much success they do i agree with you that this that silkwood doesn't know what kind of movie it is whereas the other two yeah they well, know what they're I don't know. There's a proficiency yeah. issue, I think. My thing with Silkwood, and, and and this might be completely, this is very speculative on my part, but it, it's rooted in my knowledge of Mike Nichols as a member of the Compass Players uh, in Chicago as like this original improv group and knowing mm-hmm. that the way they would do shows was they would have scenarios. So it wasn't just like a word of a suggestion. Mm-hmm. It was like, two brothers on their way to a family reunion it, like and they would it would just be like a little beginning of the scene and they would play that out and mm-hmm. silkwood felt very much like a a bunch of slices of scenes and the scenes that were cut out are the most mm. dramatic ones and that's intellectually mm. interesting to me but like the fact that like you know you find out that Karen had some sort of fling with the union guy in DC through watching the slideshow and Kurt Russell's there. I'm like, wait, what? And the fact that even her, like at her car crash is like part of this montage. And it just like immediately shows the aftermath rather than the crash is the whole movie to me. And like, I totally get that intellectually, but it, it kept the movie from like, hitting for me emotionally i think we should really contextualize it too because the the constraints that that film was operating under are much different from the other two right like the lawsuits the subpoenas Mm. you know i mean never get any clarity or smoking like it's all suggestive we don't know exactly like what happened to karen like we don't know if the plutonium was put in her like we don't know if she actually had you know, any, I mean, we do get a sense we that like when she that goes, she did when she died, they found yeah. that she had 40 times. That's right. She has, the, yeah. The safe limit of plutonium mm. in her body. But we don't know what's kind of going on with Craig T. Nelson's, you know, photo- uh, photography thing. Um, like, yeah. we don't know how implicated this plant is because the plant closed down right. like a year later. So there's right. like, there's a lot of suspicion raised, but there's no smoking gun in the way that like, we get very clear smoking guns in the other movies. Right. I think that's true. So that was the yeah. thing I wanted to say about the genre fuckery, but Madeline, yeah, you were yeah. about no, I think to like, I, I agree with that in some ways. Yeah. You were about to I go into some some... the ends. Yeah. So, Oh, the endings. So, okay, yeah. The endings of them. So yeah, there's something very murky and muddy and slapped on and montage about Silkwood China syndrome. Perfect ending perfect incredibly perfect ending i would say i would i would stand by that it might even be in like my list of perfect endings wow. yeah. the last scene was just really really uh, impeccable and the Wilford pacing Brimley's of so that movie yeah yeah, yeah the is. pacing oh yeah, my god the pacing yeah of that movie but then aaron brockovich that <laughs> i just like had to sit and laugh Cheryl Crow coming on. <laughs> that was, there are two Cheryl like, Crow songs in oh, that movie. Dude, God, and they're what both, did I just watch? My I love hurts. Cheryl Crow. <laughs> yes, Cheryl like, Crow's great. 
Cheryl Crow's like two of her like most lame songs. This is a song Redemption Day, which is this montage when she's like getting, you know, signatures. And mm-hmm. then Every Day is a Winding Road. It doesn't make any sense. Every Day is a Winding Road is a great song. No, I'm it's showing not. you. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, I'm showing you. CD collection. Look, this is, is my my Cheryl Crow, my oh, tie, yeah, my yeah. self titled Cheryl Crow favorite CD. Cheryl Crow album. Get the fuck Phil, out of here, Phil. Phil. I'm ending the call. It. No, I Phil was just talking about I, buying Cheryl Crow on vinyl. I almost like did, but week. I was too embarrassed to buy it at the at the record store. You, you want soak really up hot. the sun over every day is a winding yeah, road. Yeah, oh, soak up the sun. I, I mean that yeah, album no, is I'll actually fresh too. Road. Get I'll out of here. here. I'll take um, every day is a winding road. But you know, the end just felt really. I was like, I, this isn't a Soderbergh movie. This is a Soder. This is Soderbergh trying to be Gary Marshall in the. It's a girl boss movie. It could have ended. I mean, I think it could have ended when she he gave her the check and was like, "They don't teach beauty queens to apologize because you suck at it." End of movie. Yeah, you like we yeah. didn't actually, and all the stuff that was in there we didn't really need. Um, no, you know, wait, um, what do you mean? Like that Just- stuff, like all of the the kind of title cards at the yeah. end. We didn't really need them. I thought what was wild about that was it wasn't a hard puncture. I mean, the joke is there, but other than that, there's not a swelling music cue. Like, it it plays, but the minute, she, she, like, the minute the title cards start coming up, she's still in her office kind of puttering around. She's like, she's like, but Ed, what, what? And then the title cards are just on, and I'm like, yeah, this is a really weird, I, in a way that I kind of liked. I'm like, this is oh, a strange way to add title cards to a movie or like, with like a soft yeah. ending. Well, you don't need that thing where she buys a new house and it zooms out and she has her arms raised or something because right. you have the Cheryl Crow, right? She's, yeah. there, <laughs> she's there to like amp us up. And, and if it doesn't feel amp good. you up, it's like a kind of like mid tempo. Oh, you girl, know. you know it. You know it's supposed to. That right? is, like, is it? That <laughs> melody? Yes, of course. You are Phil. I don't know. Based Give on me. record sales, Billboard chart <laughs> position, America has proven you wrong on this. I know. No, I was to say I am a huge Earl Crow fan. I just was not was not digging that choice. Um, <laughs> the, here's was the not thing: digging that choice philosophically. Every day is a is winding, a winding road. road. It's true. It's true. But that, so that's like unambiguously a feel good ending, which mm-hmm. I also felt was weird in this genre because I'm like, wait, this movie is about all these, yeah. like, like, there are like kids with cancer. Right, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, like it's an incredibly really sad, sad movie. In this movie. Yeah. But then it just felt a little bit jarring where like, oh, okay, money solves everything, right? Like let's you talk get about a 5, that. 000, five million dollar oh, check. Yeah, you well, get a two million dollar check. Mm-hmm. And then there's Cheryl Crow. And we're really happy as we leave the movie. And it gets to still feel like a Julia Roberts movie and mm-hmm. things like that. I guess that, that was I was actually with it until the end and I really felt 
um, degraded by the. <laughs> I think part of it is. <laughs> I mean, part of it is that it's like it actually reminded me of the end of Working Girl, where if you remember the end of Working yes, Girl, I remember the end. She of Working like Girl, comes to work on her last day and zoom zooms out, out to the Sorry. office, and she's got like the corner office. She's now a corporate badass. Like mm-hmm. she's gotten everything. And it seemed, and that, and it was weird because like, that's not like she got her $2 million. She made it. Another Mike Nichols movie. Yeah, that's true. Um, And I was, you know, it it cheapened the whole thing, right? It's like, oh, wait a minute. These people are in it just for the money now. Like she got $2 million and like, you know, the woman who like, you know, had her had a mastectomy and a hysterectomy like because of cancer gets five million like that doesn't seem fair um well i have a lot of conflicting thoughts about the money as because there's like final shots final final set pieces of endings like emotionally but in terms of the ending with the character and the plant and how those movies end there's it's Mm -hmm. a it's vastly different China syndrome you have the ending is about the pursuit of truth and mm-hmm. and is a yeah. speaking of the truth to power and what happens to the plant is a little vaguer maybe it stays around silkwood mm-hmm. is about um y- y- it 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 veers away i kept waiting to know what the central like conflict of silkwood was and i was like oh okay yeah. is there going to be a court case is there go- oh is it going to be a medical now she's going to like have to see a bunch of treatments and so but then the plant shuts down and so the the it's it's just a really like incomplete thing the plant kind of wins in silkwood like yeah. and then aaron brockovich yes girl boss yes cheryl crow like the money, <laughs> the, the money. I was in a t-shirt. Yes, it, girl. <laughs> yes, Cheryl. <Crow. laughs> That's going to be our merch. I love that. Yes, um, good. <laughs> but the, but the, uh, the, the it, I would say that makes it the most liberal movie in some mm-hmm. ways. But I also think if we're like, I also think the other two movies do not offer a, practical ending it's it's liberal because Mm -hmm. it's taking the the risk of being like what if we solve it within this system the only thing we really know to solve it is money and let's be honest money actually does solve it like like two million dollars for aaron brockovich is fucking legit and like not to say it's all about that but these people like like i'm not saying it's it's the right justice but there is some justice, and I think that that settlement might offer more justice than the other two movies do, as like fucked up as it is that it's a capitalist justice. Yeah, yeah and I think I would say maybe part of that is, I mean, China Syndrome is based on the Silkwood story. You know, right. Silkwood is obviously based on the Silkwood story. Um, Aaron Brockovich is much later and it's actually many made many years after the actual events. I guess that's the mm. same thing with Silk. Not really. Too. Was, really. The events were from 93 to 96. Oh, okay. So maybe not that much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Um, I thought the thing that was, you know, interesting about um, there's no, tr- there's actually really not a trial in Aaron Brockovich, right? Mm-hmm. Like the thing that's really right. interesting is it goes to arbitration and that becomes like one of the conflicts they have to, you know, blame. And 
you know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, there's various, I, I, I have no idea, you know, whether that's a good idea or not, but in general, right. These people actually don't get their day in court. Um, and you know, it is the largest, you know, kind of settlement, but also that is, you know, potentially like they're getting justice, but perhaps not as much justice as they would have gotten anyway. One of the things that I find weird about it, um, though, is like, it's great, you know, like there's the scene where she brings Aaron Eckhart to the woman's house, um, you know, to tell her. And then, you know, the, I think it's like the next scene, it's like, oh, they're now in this new office and they can't figure out how to use the phones mm-hmm. and they're just rolling right. in money. And then you're like, oh yeah, he's going to get like, the lawyers are going to get like 40% of this 330 million mm-hmm. that, yeah. you know, that these lawyers just made a lot of money. Yeah. Um, right. And I think and they that don't that's need to the shove thing. it in our face. We already know that yeah. there's been money talk through it and it could have had the, it could have had the working girl ending, which in the end of working girl, Melanie Griffith is brought to her office. There's a little cutesy moment where she thinks she's at the secretary's mm-hmm. desk mm-hmm. and, or at the assistant's desk. And the assistant takes her to her office, which is like this magnificent office. She calls Joan Cusack, one of the best characters of film history. In yes. Agreed. Movie. Agreed. Joan Cusack finds this out in the secretary pool. And, jumps out of her seat screaming right because her girl got a got this i don't think it's a corner office but it's like got this beautiful office and then cue up fucking carly simon (laughs) you have to zoom out but it's very cool it's like i mean it is obviously a woman in the workplace movie blah, blah 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 but it's just like she is seen she has gotten to this point where she can be legit in her job she's really smart and she's She's got something to do with her life. And, you know, we're celebrating that for her, even if it's fucked up and it is about like, you know, work identity and stuff like that. That could have been the ending of Erin Brockovich. We know that she's going to get that money. It's fine. We don't need to know the details. It felt weird to slap a price tag on it. Like in the end, I, I, I like the swing. I like the swing of telling it. us the price tag. You know what I mean? Uh, it's not I, I, so. I don't. I mean, I think it. It moves it away from the work that she's doing, right? She's, you know, like there was obviously yeah, she's doing this she other thing. Doing that work too. I mean, yeah, she's still she's still doing this, and I think it makes cause, her, you know, very much like Ed Massey, right? I mean, Ed Massey is like very transparently in it for the money. I mean, mm-hmm. he has to get like you know, kind of schooled on the ethics of it a little bit, you know, because of Aaron mm-hmm. Brockovich. But um, yeah, at the end, I mean, I would say, though, I would be totally fine with that ending if it was Let the River Run rather than <laughs> Every Day is a Winding Road. <laughs> I mean, agreed. Great song. <laughs> okay, can we talk about Albert A Cheryl Finney? Crow version of Let the River Run. Like, you know. <laughs> no. I won't accept. <laughs> what were you gonna say, Dave? No, I just I want to talk about Albert. Fin- like in terms of uh, mm-hmm. sex appeal, there's th- the moment that ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going. Okay. The the no, moment that voice. rings the falsest to me in Aaron Brockovich is when he's at her doorstep and she talks about him as like unfuckable. Base is like that must. He's like, you look like a person who has fun. And she's oh, yes. like, you look like you never have sex. I'm like. 
he kind of looks barely. cool to me. His <laughs> his glasses are rad. He has like a kind of yeah. his hair is kind of set. Like he's got swagger. I, he does have swagger. I bet he drives a sports car too. I think Albert Finney's kind of like given like oh, good daddy energy. That's right. In that yeah movie, he's got BDE. He, I don't know. I agree. Yeah, yeah Albert I Finney's agree. got some BDE. Yeah, that's for okay. Sure. Okay, I just I want to yeah. make sure I wasn't like completely off base because i mean jack lemon does not have sex appeal no he never will to me i mean Mm -hmm. only in the sense that he's a very righteous like truth teller and that there's like he's very he's charismatic uh he's super charismatic i'd love to get lunch with him or whatever but yeah albert finney has a gravitas and uh yeah it's it's different and but there's similar characters. I appreciate your earlier point because, you know, Jack Lemon, there's that great scene where Jane Fonda goes into the bar and everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh my God, it's Kimberly Wells. Oh, wow. Even though she's trying to kind of disguise No local so, news person is that famous, I by know. the way. Whatever, whatever. At that time, <laughs> in, I remember that I knew where That's this true. local news guy in Albuquerque lived and we'd like sometimes go and like hang out like a like in the park nearby to see if we could see him because uh, it was just amazing that we knew where he was and he was a real life person mm-hmm. i think it kind of captured something that i i have okay okay it's not nostalgia about local news but there was a local news is an interesting thing you mm-hmm, know and, mm-hmm. and oh, I, I li- that, yeah. yeah i don't know I love you get local kind news. of there's it's like your teacher when you see your teacher at the supermarket right, or right, something right, like right, that right. there's something um interesting and familiar about them right they're not quite a celebrity but they have that parasocial fascination Mm -hmm. well there's also that scene where aaron brockovich goes to the bar and also gets the smoking gun evidence like it's like the exact same scene i Um, love that though too because she goes into the bar and it's not going to pretend if Julia Roberts walked into a bar, every single person in the bar would look at Julia Roberts yeah, and be yeah. like, wow, look at that drop dead gorgeous right. woman. It is very distracting that she is here. <laughs> yeah, and it's just very yeah. honest about that. And I like those two scenes for that. But but when she goes to Jack Lemon, he kind of pretends that he's being a latch, but he isn't. He's like yeah. completely asexual. He just wants to talk to her. He sees through all of that and sees that she's really smart and... um is going to help him and i think that that's that's an interesting that that's broken down more in like a sequence with albert finney and julia roberts but like he Mm -hmm. he he's not interested in her sexually right he has to desexualize her to see that she's really talented but there's no like sexual tension between them yeah i just really liked that it's really nice yeah it it could have been really gross totally yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say the other person that I love in Aaron Brockovich um, is Conchata Farrell, who's the secretary. Mm. The white secretary um, or the black secretary? The, the white secretary. Okay. Um, she's just like, she injects, and that's what I say, like, I think if we're going to rate, I would say, I would go China Syndrome, Aaron Brockovich, Silkwood, because... I mean, Aaron Brockovich is a fun movie. It somehow pulls mm-hmm. off this boring legal drama mm-hmm. by making a fun, <laughs> like there's a lot of really funny lines. Like there's a mm-hmm. lot of comedic moments in it. And the way these other two movies like refuse <laughs> humor completely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
Okay, what do you think in terms of the ranking, Dave? I I mean, it's Brockovich, then China Syndrome, then Silkwood. I love that we're all different. I am China Syndrome, Silkwood, then Aaron Brockovich. Really? Oh my god, Aaron Brockovich is so good. Silkwood (laughs) over Brockovich is unreal, dude. (laughs) I don't think it's a really. Good movie. I don't it's... think that Julia Roberts is good in this movie. Oh my god, either. she's amazing! What? So it is. Amazing. No. Yeah, it's not realistic. It's it's not real life. But but from the moment when, like, it's cartoony from the beginning of the movie. Yeah. It's like yeah. everything is cartoonishly yeah, bad right, right. happening to her. Then she gets hit by a car. It's like okay, well, we're in a heightened reality, even whether it's based on a real life story or not. We're in a heightened reality. Of course, she's mm-hmm. going to give these speeches. Julia Roberts, as an actor, I was watching this movie and I mm-hmm. had the thought, I'm like, I'll see many peers or people my age on screen and be like, why not me, man? I know, I know shit's like not fair. I know, and and that's, the, that's the only reason I've got. But I'm like, I could fucking do Why can't I? Is there really something that. I'm you missing? Think you could play Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, exactly. No, what... the opposite. Why? Watch yeah, watching <laughs> Julia Roberts, I was like, I do. I was like, some people. I hate celebrity mm-hmm. culture. Some people mm-hmm. can do it. I have zero jealousy of this because this is an extraterrestrial thing. Her eyes yes. sparkle. She is a she fucking is movie star. Wait, I thought you said you didn't mm-hmm. like her in Aaron Brockovich. Well, I will. Okay, let me let me parse this a little bit. Yeah. Julia Roberts is amazing. She is a movie star. She I have had that connection with her like my grandma had about, you know, Grace Kelly or something like that my whole life. Right. I agree. And I will watch anything with Julia Roberts in it. And I will be entertained and enjoy it because just because she's in it. Yeah. There doesn't. She's so good. She has that. but. That said, I like I just watched the Pelican Brief a few weeks ago. Fantastic movie with her and Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. It's a it's an Alan J. Pacula movie, actually. She's so good in that movie. I, I feel like I can I, I can say that I enjoy her and also say this is not one of her better performances. Mm-hmm. This is her in a Good Wife episode like but it's twice as long this is her like no i i just like runaway bride is not a good julia roberts movie right like this is not a good julia roberts movie Mm, i'm sorry i would i would say (laughs) you are so you're gonna throw up you're so wrong dude you're just and if (laughs) if i didn't know you as a friend and someone was like oh i have this person i'd like you to hang out with they like silkwood more than aaron brockovich i would say nope don't want to meet him never interested the scenarios that have never happened on Flutter. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but they will now. Aaron Brockovich asking people. I, I had this is I had never seen this movie before, and I'm a big Soderbergh yeah. fan, and I just think okay. he knows how to make a fucking movie, and it's just yeah. so watchable. I don't I like Julia watchable. Roberts. I don't like Julia Roberts, and I thought she was amazing in this. I found it watchable like I find Diet Coke drinkable. Do you know what I'm saying? This it's was a very Diet Coke it's movie. It's made of like chemicals. It's it doesn't even taste good. It has hex chrome in it. Down. Yeah. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. probably gonna die from 
like there are so many of these speeches that she did. I'm like, oh. Steven Soderbergh, could you just give her another take? Just because she's Julia Roberts, like she's not going to nail everything. Could you just please give her a couple more takes? No, I love I it. want her to be better in this movie. But these speeches are horrible. Like which one? They what was she horrible? So horrible? She was so good okay. in the speeches. This is where I'm going to bring in Hamlet too. Which I know you haven't seen. I know. I I tried to watch it for today, but I didn't. I love Hamlet too. It's one of my favorite movies. And one of the things that in the first act, when we encounter Steve Coogan, he's a theater, high school theater teacher, and he keeps making his students do um, like adaptations of like Hollywood movies Mm -hmm. instead of like real plays. And he has them to Aaron Brockovich. And there's this 15-year-old girl, and she's doing that scene where she says, what number do you want, George? Oh, that is so good. Ten. So good. Ten is the age of my... <laughs> whatever. It's like, oh, no. I am so sorry, but it just felt so forced and cheesy, and I just couldn't handle it. I just couldn't. That's a transcendent moment, dude. That's an I that's that's like yeah. that is a movie moment. It's like that's it, a movie moment. It's, it's like, like fu- movie gold. It's like, like fuck the when, narrative. This is here here's a fun moment for you to remember. I, I yeah. love that. No, when they when Julia Robert gets <laughs> her sorry. like Academy Lifetime Achievement Awards, mm-hmm. like they're gonna play that clip. Yeah. I know. And but I do remember when when this movie came out and she won the Oscar, I really felt like where she forgot okay. to thank Aaron Brockovich. Oh, oh wow. yeah, that was her, in her speech. She like, was like, "Oops, I forgot." Oh, the next that's day. amazing. Yeah, I, I just felt like okay, people have been jonesing to give her an Academy Award for a long time, and she finally like just kind of got to. She hooked up with Stephen Soderbergh. Let's just give it to her, like. It's good enough. Like we really, really need her to have an Oscar. No She's Julia fucking way. Roberts. That's how I felt no. about it. This oh. is Julia Roberts is every day is a winding road, and you are <laughs> you are off <laughs> off base on this. No, I I, I realize so I have Julia Roberts movies over this. I'm sorry. I this actually have really like bottom of the barrel. I consider it like a cultural like a learned thing that I got that like I think because she was the rom com queen for so long not mm-hmm. to take her seriously and that she mm-hmm. wasn't that she was like i mean it's a very like misogynistic perspective that i received which is like she's not serious she's not good she's just mm-hmm. a fucking whatever and then yeah. rewatching this i'm like of course she was good of course she's incredible and i, I she fucking shines in this movie man yeah I'm sorry. i i, I yeah. agree i i totally agree <laughs> She shines. I mean, I would. I, she, I, I would yeah. say. I mean, Jane Fonda shines in a different way. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's rank divas. Let's rank. Um, let's rank. I, I would go same thing. Um, Jane really? Fonda, yep. Julia oh, okay. Roberts, Meryl. I'm and sorry. Meryl. And I would. Okay, no, I would I go. I agree with that. I would agree with that. I would go same. I would go my same rankings: Julia Roberts, Jane Fonda, Meryl. Just in yeah. these movies. You would go Julia Roberts over Jane Fonda. Yeah. No, let's talk about them yeah. broadly, well, like as icons. I also want to say that 2000 <laughs> was like a really lame year for Best Actress Award. Who it else was she nominated? Joan Allen for The Contender, Juliette Binoche for Chocolat. 
boy. Yeah. Ellen Burstyn for Requiem for a Dream, which is a good role, but she should have gotten that. And Ellen Laura Burstyn Linney for You Can Count on Me, which I don't I'm remember oh no, I'm remembering actually that I was I was rooting for Laura Linney that year. Laura um, Linney I turns really me love- off. Yeah, me too. I love you Thanks, dude. On me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you remember? Okay, Madeline, maybe you went oh. to the same thing I did. Do you remember when <laughs> uh I forget it was like one of those like get a guy off death row movies that Laura Linney and Kevin <laughs> Spacey were in, and they came to you Chicago and screened the movie and talked about it. And I found oh. both of them so fucking unlikable. And Ever since then, it's I've, I sometimes she's in Ozark. There are certain mo- in Ozark. She's really good when she plays a completely un when she leans into the unlikability to how evil that. Yeah, but I think she can do that. And I'm impressed by it. But um, that's another that that movie you can count on me is a pretty, pretty great movie. That was also where I discovered um, Mark Ruffalo. Um, yeah. And. That's another stressed out single mom movie. Is that uh, Kenneth Lonergan? It's a better. It is. Yes. It's his. I would say it's movie, a better yeah. movie than than Aaron Brockovich. I'm sorry, but dude, there are almost no movies better than Aaron Brockovich. Oh, no, it's wow. I. I could watch it <laughs> okay. like once a week. I literally I was no like, idea. sometimes our cat will pay attention to things, and he was like, it, it, it's very rare that it like is consistent, but he was occasionally paying attention to this, and I was like. If this were Tem's favorite movie and we had to watch it once a week, I would love that. Like, that would be fucking great, dude. It's so and it's not even like the story doesn't like super resonate with me. It's just Mm -hmm. full of good. The kid, all the kids are great. Yeah. It just has wonderful would, dialogue. Like, yeah, there's I no, love. No, 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 I do. No, it's like no. it's fun, campy dialogue. I think that that what I like okay, about it is like you have all this like serious legal speak. And then like it's like a kind of like SNL skit. And then you have this like, you know, woman who like thinks she's in control and is like, I'm going to take over. Like when she's um like bitching out um i can't remember her name i don't know if she has a name but peter coyote's partner like the other law firm and she just like bitches her out like the woman is like you don't have numbers here and she's like i know all of these phone numbers give me so so and then when she's like how'd you get all these forms and she's like 634 blowjobs in five days and she's like i'm really tired like Like, and i'm like this woman does not deserve this she has not said anything you can tell she sucks that's what i felt was weird that's what i felt was weird is like you're i wanted to be rooting for her but i was like you're a rude person she is she's super rude like ends like that (laughs) no i know but she's like Funny she she's been mistreated her bitch. whole fucking life no, but she's so mean like to that other to that other assistant she says she's what so are you mean looking at bitch so yeah, yeah no exactly like, oh my god and, like this woman's just down. trying to do her job so no down. those assistants are fucking mean to her they go to lunch <laughs> without her they judge her because she wears fucking like fun clothes if you don't like those moments that is yeah fun <laughs> Whoa! Okay, are we gonna, gonna slut gonna, shame Julia Roberts? No, out of I'm this? not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. But I understand how these like older women in the office feel weird about her being hired. 
and I understand it. It doesn't make it it, okay. No, but it doesn't. It doesn't like it doesn't give them many dimensions with that, right? And I I kind of think that that's one of the more interesting plot points is like how the women in the office become more comfortable with her and who she is. Well, there's the Um, one assistant, the other white secretary who's fucking great, who like turns the light on when she's reading. Who offers the but candy that's to her to be kids? That's a turning point. That's supposed yeah. to be a turning point where, like, okay, the women are. That's the only way you're reading that process too. Oh, she's she's becoming more a part of the office scene, and there's there's more acceptance of her. Um, you're only reading it through these like small moments with that that um that that character. I don't know what her name is. Yeah, I don't the, know. Yeah, the person at the front desk. Yeah, yeah. No, but I. I don't know. I thought that I mean, that's fine. What? A lot more explored. Oh, in terms of okay. a women in the workforce, like film, that's one of the more interesting things to think about. Yeah, you yeah. Know? It's like, well, see, that's what no, I you can't ask her to dress differently. Is right? it a like, woman in that. the workplace? Like, are any of these? I mean, obviously, these movies are all about women in the workplace, and like, work is mm-hmm. the central conflict in all of these movies, and that kind of divide between work and home. Um, and yet it's also not, well, I would say like, these are not corporate workplaces. They're not, I was just like thinking about this against like working girl or something, right? This Mm -hmm. is not wanting to enter the workforce to just be in the workforce, you know, like these women are dedicated to their work, but not to their workplace, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what maybe distinguishes these movies more from like, you know, perhaps other kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like Working Girl or Baby Boom or all of these other kind of movies that are about, or even Nine to Five, um, which are really about kind of women, you know, having a problem, like their, their work is defined by their workplace where for all three of these women that there's this vocation that is outside of the family um and it's sometimes aligned with work but often not aligned with work or has conflicts with work it's like their Mm -hmm. workplace won't allow them to do the work that needs to be done right like kimberly with hard news yeah um and yeah, it is interesting that you're bringing up Nine to Five. That was the next movie that Jane Fonda did. And mm-hmm. she was really, through the course of making China Syndrome, was like doing all this feminist organizing and hearing about stuff that was going on in office places and got really motivated to make that movie and then make it with Lily Tomlin. Um, and it that seems like a really interesting kind of uh film to couple with with the china syndrome um, can we talk about how well? bad uh maybe maybe it's even a fine movie title but the name the Agreed. china syndrome for <clears throat> for what it is i'm like this doesn't sound like a syndrome it sounds like a phenomenon it, yeah. What yeah. is it, it so? What is no the China sense. syndrome? One of you explain it. It's so like the China. Oh yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. You go, Phil. Well, I was gonna say I, I. It's if um, I'm not sure how much it even predates this movie. Um, but the idea with the China syndrome is that in a nuclear re- re- uh, reactor, if the core gets overheated, it could just keep going and break 
through the kind of water thing, which is almost what happens in the movie. Mm -hmm. And it would go through the earth and just burn a hole through the earth all the way to China. Yeah. Right. It would never stop. It's like this like theoretical thing. And it, yeah, it does. It's so terrifying though. But instead it will hit a water reservoir and, and basically explode. So it doesn't even go to China and it would just pollute the water there. Yeah. It's a really weird because it makes you think of China. You well, know, it's like digging the all the has, way to China. Yeah, right? you, we, you both heard that as a kid. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Like if you're digging, but like, it's a childish yeah, thing. It's and a, who's being terrible. diagnosed with this? The, the Earth has the China I syndrome. Know. Well, especially post COVID, it it doesn't. It should be. This That's right. Should yeah. be renamed. <laughs> they should <laughs> just lean all the title. way in, call it, well, have like a thirtieth anniversary, the China virus or something. Yeah, it's not descriptive. It needs to be. Um, yeah, I don't know what else you would have called it, but just well, there's one line of dialogue where they say it as if it is like a common expression at the yeah. time. It's not that they coined it themselves, but it's kind of a throwaway line in yeah. the film, and it's almost. But like I don't they know if it know was it. was like a common expression. Like I don't know. Yeah, I don't I know. It is. It is a yeah. terrible title. I mean, Silkwood's a really good title because. It's so like like what is Silkwood? You know, I exactly, mean, yeah. you know, it's very it doesn't. Um, and obviously, should Aaron Brockovich just have been Brockovich? No, I like Aaron I Brockovich. I mean, okay, here's my here's my pitch for China Syndrome. Because uh, okay. the nuclear power plant is in Ventana, you just call the movie oh, yeah. Ventana. Ventana, yeah. No, it's yeah. In, this is not hidden. You guys aren't. You guys. No, aren't it needs to that. like. I mean, I want something that really kind of speaks tortoise mom. What were you gonna say? You're shocked. What were you gonna say? I um no, I was gonna say it needs to have something that like has to do with like you know disaster or explosion or yeah, you know, like something that resonates. The late 70s had some bad titles too. I know, like the towering inferno or something like that, you know, like, yeah, um, airport. I already mentioned, um, the I mean, Poseidon. even if it was just like nuclear, you know, with like nuclear, right? Um, nuclear the day energy. of the dolphin that was a movie that, um, that Mike Nichols made at this time, Ooh, or like vibration, you know, that, yeah, that, like, vibration. in the cup of coffee, I don't know, it, or, or Kimberly or Wells. Smark. Or snark was scram, 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 scram. Oh yeah, scram, yeah, yeah. Scram in the tortoise mom. Um. <laughs> scram in the tortoise mom. We find out the tortoise's name is Scram. scram. Like, <laughs> I know, right? Is uh, I didn't look to see if the tortoise <laughs> is like is uh, listed in IMDb. <laughs> well, okay. One thing that was that it, I think is the middle of all of these Venn diagrams is uh technical language as it's starting with mm. the china syndrome mm. i'm like god damn they are being really specific about the rods and the fucking core and the yeah all this shit and they have that map in, where they explain it yeah i was like i liked that i was like this is cool this is because it it never yeah. got too they they always kept it pretty um it, it was accessible the the whole time. well and then there's that great i mean the scene in the end where which we haven't really talked that much about where jack lemon has uh 
he's got a gun and he's in the uh whatever room it's called control room mm-hmm. um or whatever we call it and and he's demanded to be uh interviewed by Kimberly and for it to be uh broadcast right mm-hmm. but he cannot actually explain what this conspiracy is like in layman's yeah. terms yeah. right and it's this great moment with the audience, right? Because you're like, well, I understand it at this point, right? Um, but how difficult it is to actually unpack what's dangerous about these plants, right? Um, yeah. It is difficult to explain and make legible. And um, it kind of is a great moment of commenting on what it's, art, what it's already accomplished, right? Um, right. Just, I think, raising consciousness about about this danger and about why we should have have this suspicion why we should be some of these i mean there's also the the hero some of the heroes in this film are the the activists right who are organizing against um against the plant and it it does have that kind of activist i mean jane fonda was in like a high point of her activist moment at the time it, it does kind of um elicit that kind of response in me i think right oh yeah, yeah totally. is like i need to be a girl boss like it it kind of doesn't even <laughs> oh, matter really? what i'm a girl boss about but cool if it, i get to feel good about like children with cancer some of the time or is it has like non-profit vibes <laughs> you know what I mean? it does sure. a little bit but <laughs> no, i think you're right <laughs> I would say that all three of these movies, again, also have a cover up. You know, it's not just the the lack of safety with like the hex chrome or the plutonium or like all of these have like cover up with a paper trail of the cover up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're all like kind of about, you know, these these documents. And so it's also very much about like not only are these places unsafe, not only are there lots of risks with nuclear energy or other forms of energy, but that these companies are lying to you and yeah. they're covering up. Like you can't trust anybody. Um, yeah. And, you know, that is like, they'll kill you for these documents. Um, they'll kill you for these. Spot- yeah. And I would say that's one thing Brockovich does a much better job at is it's really hard in a movie to make like, legal documents like uh do that much exposition yeah um but these like when she's xeroxing them like the ways that like you just catch these different phrases Mm -hmm. in the documents i thought that that was that was a high point of of the movie just because i like narratively i'm like how do you yeah how do you get this across that i will give soderbergh that I just think it's a weird Soderbergh movie, but it's also like this transition for him, like the moment of traffic and Aaron Brockovich and like all these things, you know, he was kind of in a crisis. It feels like a crisis of making fucking bangers. Yeah. Well, I know that he's spoken a lot about like his first movie, Sex, Lies and Videotape was just such a huge smash hit. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of pressure on him. What is he going to follow up with? And, it's kind of funny to look back at this time because it feels like that was so, so long. I know we all kind of grew up in this era, but like the time period between Pretty Woman and Aaron Brockovich is roughly the same as between Sex, Lies and Videotape and 
Aaron Brockovich. Like they're both mm-hmm. Soderbergh and Roberts. Their nineties is like there's a lot of figuring themselves out. And I know that you thought that she was like the rom com queen, and I definitely think that's what she kind of became by the end of the nineties because she had like My Best Friend's Wedding and mm-hmm. Notting Hill and Runaway Bride. I remember in ninety nine, and I just looked this up. Notting Hill came out two months before Runaway Bride. And I remember that mm-hmm. summer feeling like bookended by these like <laughs> mega mm-hmm. Julia Roberts movies yeah. that were just in theaters forever. Like Notting Hill might have even still been in the theater when Running yeah. Runaway Bride came out. I mean, she just Both felt everywhere in that, in that kind of note too, like that kind of character. But she was hopping around like she was in Preta Porte, the um altman movie in the 90s in 94 she was also in the player another altman movie she did this whole thing following pretty woman she did flatliners sleeping with the enemy dying young hook she was trying to figure her shit out for a while yeah but i wouldn't say hooks an argument for like for like a weighty sort of performance you know what i mean she when she played tinkerbell was really uh, was really where she like gained her heft as an actor. You know I mean? No, but she was just getting thrown about in yeah, these different yeah, yeah, yeah. kinds of films, different kinds of roles. And, and I admire that she didn't immediately follow it up with another kind of pretty woman movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But all that time gets kind of collapsed. It was actually, I'm looking at her filmography, but it was actually like seven years until she was in another, um, another rom-com. After Pretty Woman. Yeah. Like most of the 90s, she was doing yeah. weird stuff. She was in Mary Riley. Do you remember that? The Franken or the. Um, no. Franken- uh, she was in Michael Collins. She was in Everyone Says I Love You, the Woody Allen musical. She was in weird she was? stuff. Mm. Yeah, that she was. So bizarre. She was his love interest, believe it or not. He cast her as his love interest. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, she was doing a lot of a lot of things so i don't know but there's a reason she pops in the like because she's such a fucking the the light touch of her just existing on screen in these rom-coms is so good i know it's yeah yeah it is i mean that's i think you know i it it makes aaron brockovich i mean there's a lot of good things in aaron brockovich going on but i can't imagine I can't imagine that movie with anybody else where I could totally imagine mm. Silkwood without Meryl. And as much, really? yeah. And as yeah. much as I don't want to, I could imagine China syndrome as someone other than Jane Fonda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know if anyone would do it I, as well as Jane Fonda. Right. I just but, don't think that she's Aaron Brockovich. I don't know. I, I think that that's probably the right question. I would have liked somebody else in this role. More than her. Who? And yeah. I see, I do, I think I, I see it more consistent with this other kind of trend in her career where she's trying to figure stuff out, like on the fringes of this rom-com. But pick someone. Who's thing. someone you, you sub in for Julia Roberts in, in Aaron Brockovich? Mm. I fucking dare you. Yeah. <laughs> Julianne Moore? No. No. Too, too like deep. Too high culture. Yeah. Too not- high culture. I would say Sandra Bullock. 
Yes, that Ooh. is the one. Wow. That's the one who oh. yeah, it could be. You guys be. are teaming up on me. <laughs> you guys I would like say, Cheryl I mean, Crow, you like Sandy Bullock. Sheryl Crow could... would have been great in Aaron Barajas. <laughs> <laughs> when you come up against reality, it is easy to feel like the world is against you, Madeline. Oh, <laughs> you. Um, I, I mean, and as much as I love Jane Fonda in China Syndrome, um, you know, that could have easily been like a Faye Dunaway. Or like uh, okay, the, Diane Keaton, or even a Meryl. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it could have been Faye Dunaway very easily. I also okay. want to say yeah. a thing that that is that is in the middle of the Venn diagram for me is mm-hmm. the um the, the and we've already kind of touched on this the relationship to romance to romance in these movies is mm-hmm. is no no one gets uh cast in a stereotypical role obviously silkwood is like all over the map Mm -hmm. uh jane fonda in china syndrome is not defined by her romance with anyone and aaron brockovich like the the biggest thread left dangling in the movie is like wait does she, she lets aaron eckhart watch her kids again but it doesn't seem like they're together and i'm like Oh, that's so interesting that they like let her, you know, say this speech about like the way you could do it. it, The way you could prove you're different than my my ex-husband's is you could stay. He leaves with a bag. He leaves. We don't see we don't see him for a bunch until he takes care of the kids while she gets signatures. And that's kind of the last time we see him. And I'm yeah, like, and no, 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 she, no, no, she no, takes no. him he to did, the, uh, yeah. but like, we don't know if she they're takes together, him, but he, no, but I think the, the important information is she takes him to the woman who had the mastectomy to get the five. That's right. That's checks, right. So that yeah. He could see all the things that he helped. Exactly. But he's driving. I thought that that was a really important why detail Give, i oh. think that they're together what's you think they're together well why would yeah he's I don't, driving her in her vehicle that's not something you do with someone you're not with uh, i mean maybe but it's not it's yeah. not made super explicit you know what i mean and, don't and you that's love how cool much, i like that too don't you love how much karen in silkwood is the driver too oh yeah like she's driving them she's driving men around a lot right like ron silver yeah her russell yeah i didn't think you about didn't it notice that, that much but but i think I, it, well it's foreshadowing a lot with her you know right maybe she shouldn't have been driving death. them around yes. <laughs> way to victim blame wait is um uh, here's another question is karen a karen oh <laughs> well she has a fucking we haven't talked about how Kurt Russell has a Confederate flag. Oh, yes. in his right, dude. Right? That is uncomfortable. Which, okay, so did you notice that when they like have to move apartments? Like, so he leaves. Like, takes the, flag. the house, he takes the flag. I, I don't know if he puts takes that flag. He definitely takes place. the American flag. He doesn't, we well, don't he puts see the him. Confederate flag back in his new apartment. He's got a new apartment with a, with a Confederate flag in it. I don't, is that his new apartment? Or is that yeah. the apartment they put her and Dolly in? Remember they say, like, we have a no, place for his... you? That's his apartment? Yeah. Okay. So he, okay. So that, ma- that makes yeah. a little more sense. I was like, 
how did that get out of the i thought that was still in the house and then it was brought over to the new place but maybe i'm wrong Mm. yeah i mean he's weird and then the way he like fetishizes like the country in new mexico and like has that like um you know blanket that he's brought and things like he's a very his little banjo he's got some stuff he's got stuff going on with him there is did you notice so i mean they he is definitely in that movie for eye candy like Mm -hmm, that is mm -hmm. obvious like it was very clear that like this for you no, no, I agree. I, I agree. He is. I mean, no, he is there for. I mean, obviously, this is like probably they're expecting a mostly female audience. You know, it is mm. very kind of like a melodrama. Um, and there's this one scene where, like, you know, his fly is like mostly unbuttoned, and then there's oh, this yeah. this other scene where, like, it's hot outside, and he comes in, he takes a beer, and he just pours it on himself. That's after he has his like um his little fit about yeah how she yeah which is also paralleled in aaron brockovich yeah and i would say also norma ray has a scene exactly like that too with bow bridges and sally field um sally field actually um won in 1979 for norma ray over jane fonda which i think Mm. is a travesty but yeah. all of these movies were nominated for best director, best picture, best picture, best actor, and best actress, and best yeah, and best actress, and a few had best supporting. Yeah, they were they were celebrated. Yeah, they were definitely celebrated. I want to okay. I want to say one thing about Michael Douglas in our Michael Douglas trilogy episode with Jasmine last season. I mentioned that he was. I, I think I called him like an OG Nepo baby, but like he is a really interesting Nepo baby in Hollywood. So he produced One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest because his daddy gave him the rights to the film. Mm-hmm. And then that won him an Oscar as the producer. That's like his first oh. big thing in Hollywood. But then he, but he really wanted to be an actor. And basically the way that he could do that was by producing. And so he produced The Shyness Syndrome. and insisted on you know having this role but um i think this is one of the best michael douglas performances that said i'm like just acknowledging that's how he that's how the movie got made that's how he got this part but i find him pretty charismatic yeah and back to the he's thing good about, like sex stuff he flirts with jane fonda in this like very I, w- I wanted to talk to you all about that because they have this chemistry between them. Mm-hmm. It's very palpable, but they don't do anything with it because it's just that's not what they're going to They're They're focused on their righteous cause on doing the work and that's not going to get in the way. But it's also, you know, they'll, they'll kind of like touch her in ways. And in the end, when she's crying, he goes and he like holds her in this way that's like very tender and beautiful. but. I kind of really admire the subtlety of their relationship. Mm. I felt like I they had been you know, friends with benefits or something yeah. like six months before this. And we're, and we're just cool about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because they share drinks, but like they shared that drink with Hector too in the back seat. Like mm. I love that the first the first shot, you're just kind of watching them drive. So many great driving yeah. scenes, but it's actually really cool or like you're panning in and out and like seeing that they're 
sharing this beverage and like looking at these notes and preparing to go to the plant. Um, or Hector so, like, connected. I know. In in kind of in a similar way to like how, you know, you're kind of trying to figure out what Dolly's deal is with with um with Kurt Russell and 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 Karen Silk. What's Kurt Russell's name? I I don't know. But you, yeah. you're trying to yeah. figure them out, and you can't quite put your finger on it, and it just kind of lets you stay there. And I I felt that that was really going on in, um, in China Syndrome, whereas. Subtle relationships aren't really things that can exist in the narrative world of of Aaron Brock. <laughs> no, <laughs> Aaron Brock is not a <laughs> subtlety is not something in that movie. But complicated sure. relationships. The thing with Aaron Eckhart yeah, is not. Yeah. It's not like straight up traditional. Like yeah, yeah, for, yeah. from the fir- no, the first right. the way they first meet each other, he seems like he might be a creep, and uh-huh. then mm-hmm. to pull off the scene where he's got her kids in the backyard and has not known them. And that not to be like fucking so yikes is so impressive. Like on, yeah. on Aaron Eckhart's yeah. part as an actor, I think like that shit is really. I, yeah. And it held up too. Yeah. It's 23 years yeah. later. And I still felt like I, while I was watching that. Yeah. There are the yikes elements of it. It's not pretending it couldn't be. Yikes. Right. But also, you're really feeling her in a bind where she was relying on this childcare. Right. The childcare, you know, the person was flaky. She doesn't really have any room to right. to contest this, mm-hmm. you know. And I I appreciated that scene too. See, I think Aaron Brockovich has some banger scenes. I just don't think it like holds up. Yeah, it's weird. In it's the like genre, especially like politically, it is definitely the worst one i think yeah i think uh the thing about aaron brockovich and its banger scenes is that like every single one is a banger you know and that's the uh important yeah. thing is that every single yeah scene. yeah yeah it does have some banger <laughs> scenes and it's all of them so it is all of them <laughs> no <laughs> okay, there's, there's, there's not a lot of downtime in that movie <laughs> you know, know. Mm-mm. um Silk all of them have like two hour run times and yeah. and Aaron Brockovich is the only one I didn't feel it. Oh really? Yeah, I didn't feel in China Syndrome. I definitely did with Silkwood. I was definitely like, yeah. oh wait, we still got like another hour and a half until the yeah. next shower scene. Yeah, Silkwood is boring, but in the alien way. No, yeah. no, no, no. Alien the isn't China boring. Syndrome, China Syndrome. I was getting more and more like, oh my god, what's gonna happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was getting more. What's gonna happen? But like that tension kept building until the end. I really, I felt like China Syndrome laid out for you exactly what was gonna happen in a way that, like, kept me from being on the edge of my seat. In a way, I still enjoyed Mm -hmm. it playing out, but I was like, nothing about this is like gonna surprise surprise me but i want to talk about kurt russell for a second i want to like uh or not sorry not kurt russell i mean a little bit him but michael douglas this was the uh, china syndrome was the first time i have understood the sex appeal of michael douglas like every other time in that movie he is sexy he is is. yeah i mean i I, yeah i know i think he's lechy not sex i think he's lechy in everything else i think in this there's something with like the beard and his hair and this kind of like you know hysterical i've been around men like that though who 
they'll touch you and then they like touch your elbow and like kind of squeeze it. Sure, know, like, sure. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, he kind of has that. I don't know. Yeah, no. That's what he seems He's like just so mission driven that I find him. Yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. Well, his politics are hot for sure. His politics are hot. I also think well, Kurt also- Russell. So the thing I want to say about Kurt Russell is I looked up, I was like, where in that's his name where in right right where in his filmography does silkwood come and it's smack dab in the middle of that carpenter run it's escape from new york is 81 the thing is 82 silkwood 83 and then big trouble in little china is 86 and that's how i know him best and how to me he's like so charismatic and iconic and that's why drew in china in silkwood i'm just like it's fucking snooze alert, dude. It, it's just he's very sexy, I but know. almost nothing personality. But they're trying to. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't I have just, much to say. I just circle back to this thing about, you know, casting him and share like. Wow, what a move, you know, what a move. But then it, th- that's almost kind of the <laughs> Silkwood thing is it's like it's ballsy enough to make that move. And then it kind of neuters them and doesn't let them like be fully bring their whole charisma to it you know yeah so it's like kind of like a really a really sexy like rock star you know like elvis like elvis couldn't get it up it's kind of like that like it has all of this wait stuff. what elvis couldn't get it up is that yeah that's what priscilla is actually about oh, oh is it really i need to see priscilla well he was on all these it's not what priscilla is but it's one of the important plot points is like he was on all these pills and like mm, was basically okay. impotent you know like he he obviously he procreated he managed a couple of times, but like, <laughs> right. you know, but it is kind of like that where it's like it's super charged with the sex appeal and like, yeah, the posters and things like that. And then then you're in bed with it and you're like, yeah, you smell like stale whiskey, like and cigarettes and your bed sheets aren't clean and you're really boring and. This metaphor is is, is escaping me. It's starting to seep out like the nuclear waste from one of these power plants. Oh, no. But I feel like Phil understands. <laughs> no, I do. I do. I find, I mean, he's there to just be like a dumb hot guy. And I am right. fine with that. Did you like when he cried? I thought that was really good. Do you think there were real tears? Oh, I don't know. Um, I I can see Kurt Russell having some real tears. I think that it was a one. I mean, I don't. I think he he cried because you you're following him in one shot, and he goes into the room. He goes into the house and just like looks at the details of what's yeah. happened to this house, and keeps turning around. And he's got his eyes are more and more tearful. I don't know. I I, I was that wow. scene though. I that actually was some good acting. Yeah, no, it, it it is. I I actually think he's you know not bad in it. I think you're right that we don't see like the full extent of his charm, but I don't know. I don't know if I need that. I mean, it's the same thing with Cher, right? Like we just have that again. That like they're doing different mm-hmm. things. I actually thought this scene where they're taking down the house was the scariest scene yes. of Silkwood. You know, it wasn't. I mean, the showers and like the suddenness of them are terrifying mm-hmm. and the alarm. 
but that scene where you know just like her seeing her life go through and just like you realize just how alone she is and i think that that's one of the things that i think really characterizes silkwood yeah unlike erin brockovich and china syndrome is like the ensemble falls apart Mm -hmm. um yeah and she's a martyr too right yeah she knows she's going to die like she's pieced it together even though it's clear that dolly has has indicated that they're gonna get these tests done and that like probably the doctors aren't trustworthy therefore when when they go and finally see them she you can tell she knows she has no future she's gonna die she kurt russell wants to have babies with her and she's like they're not gonna come out right yeah she just knows she's she knows what she can't know but but she's certain and that's an interesting point in the movie where she doesn't she doesn't seem to give a shit about her kids anymore she Mm -hmm. doesn't yeah because there's what's the point like she's poisoned well i was really curious about the the physical the like physical biological scientific medical accuracy of these like i'm like yeah silkwood makes it seem like radiation exposure is like a sexually transmitted disease like if like if kurt russell like sticks his dick in her he's gonna get i'm like that doesn't seem like how that would work and also like is nuclear energy worse than fossil fuels? Like, I, I'm very well, curious I mean, about this. Yeah. So, I mean, I like, okay. So, one of the things that the movie, there was, I was going to say two things, but um, Aaron Brockovich, the real life Aaron Brockovich, when she, she goes, there's that scene where she goes to um, get like the frogs and goes to the pools. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron Brockovich got poisoning from hexavalent chromium and was in the hospital. Um, oh, wow. for a couple of weeks during that time period while she was doing that. And Steven Soderbergh decided not to put it in the movie because they didn't want to make her a martyr, um, mm. which I thought was really interesting. Um, mm. What I would say, what's interesting about Karen Silkwood is like her life is like, so she was born in Port Arthur, Texas. And it's weird because, I mean, I only weirdly know this because I was in Port Arthur, Texas at um, the Museum of the Gulf Coast. Port Arthur, Texas is North America's largest oil refinery. Um, and it's one of like the most god awful places I've ever been in my life. Um, you know, and there's a museum there. Janice Joplin's also from there, but they had a little <laughs> like thing about Karen Silkwood because she was born there. And so they had this little like exhibit about her with like her purse and a couple books and a few things memorabilia. And we kind of get a glimpse of that at the very beginning of the movie when they drive to Texas. It's weird, like you don't know where in Texas they're going, but when mm-hmm. she gets there, she says, like, oh, it smells awful. Which it does, right? Because it's an oil, giant oil refinery. And so, like, her whole life is, like, you know, being in these environmental kind of disaster areas because of energy. Um, And then, you know, the other thing that I was looking up, there was a, I can't remember it was, but... um, the Obviously, the reactor in China Syndrome is not a real reactor. Um, You know, there's only Diablo Canyon was, I think, built, you know, a few years before, which is the one kind of um, 
you know, in California on the coast, that would be the closest. But there was this experimental reactor um, that was um, near, um, I can't remember exactly where it was, but there's still, um, there's a whole cancer cluster around that. Like there's a documentary mm-hmm. kind of based on that. And even um, with Aaron Brockovich, I mean, this plume of hexavalent chromium is still growing, like as of today. Like there's been multiple kind of lawsuits kind of after that. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that I think this movie kind of, you know, brings up kind of in this larger um, kind of environmental and political and economic sense is just the way that this is, you know, pretty much standard for like almost any operating power plant that right. there's going to be some effect on the community. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. what's interesting to me is that in China Syndrome and Silkwood, in this earlier moment, the solutions for this are unions and journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, the solution for this in Aaron Brockovich, like there, I don't think there's any journalists in Aaron Brockovich. Um, no, you're right. There's obviously no union. Um, the only solution here is like tort law. Um, you know, that that becomes like the way that you mitigate environmental destruction and worker safety, where like in, you know, and I think it actually shows like a real kind of large shift in, um, you know, how we kind of think about corporate issues and workplace issues. Hmm. Totally. Yeah. And I would say like, even though I think China syndrome is better than Silkwood, I appreciate so much that Silkwood is really a film about workers. It's mm-hmm. never, it never lets that go. It, it keeps that in the foreground. You really feel that viscerally, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, and he, Kurt wrestles like, oh, it's a job. We can quit it, you know, but I appreciate that context about her life because she just didn't seem to think that this is something she could escape, right? Um, yeah. It's not just about quitting a job, right? This is just her worldview is like so much about these um these these plants, you know. Um and I think yeah, there's something about this it gave me the heebie-jeebies, especially Silkwood in the way that say like Outbreak did too where I was like kind of like feeling my skin yeah. as I was watching hmm. it and like I wanted to drink a lot of water while I was watching <laughs> Silkwood like there was something about it where I was just like I need to like take care of my body <laughs> like I don't know I don't know if either of you felt that way but um I would say definitely yeah, yeah, like yeah. Permeates it's it's stuff, well because you know? the radiation is contamination right yeah. and this kind of like unseeable contamination Yes. Um, I was also going to say that there's one of the scenes that stuck out to me is um, Craig T. Nelson after I think the when Ron Silver comes out, who's the union um, representative from the National Union, comes out and talks and they tell the workers like any amount of plutonium is going to kill you Mm -hmm. uh, or is going to give you cancer. Mm Um, and he comes out, he's like, where were you, you know, before? And also, like, this is the only thing this town has. And, you know, because I've been, like, a little bit obsessed with Karen Silkwood for a while, like, when I was out in Oklahoma, like, I went to the town, Crescent, Oklahoma, and mm-hmm. went to the plant. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it was really interesting because um, the plant, 
um, you, know, you can't really like go that much near it, but it's just this right. closed down plan and the downtown is just gone. Like there's nothing there. Like it's just this kind of mm-hmm. dead downtown, like no one lives there. And so essentially like, what happened was like all of these workers were, you know, exposed to all of this radiation, you know, all of this stuff with Karen Silkwood happened, um, you know, she dies and the plant closes down within a year and then like, that's it. Right. Like, and he was right. Like the town just like folded up. Um, wow. And, you know, Kerr McGee is one of, or was, they were bought by some other company, but they were, um, you know, this oil company that started in the early 20th century um, in Oklahoma. And they were just this kind of like oil energy company. And so I think what's interesting about all of these movies is that they're trying to bring in environmental concerns Um, And they're doing that, I think, in a way that's really interesting because they're not doing it in a kind of like touchy feely, you know, beautiful environmental way. There's not really like environmental beauty or ecological beauty in any of these movies um, Mm -hmm. or this kind of pristine nature thing. It's like they're positioning as a way of like, this is poison, you know, that's Mm -hmm. affecting people. Mm -hmm. And so I think that they get a lot of mileage out of that in terms of the tension of like the poison. Yeah, is you know part of our modern life, etc. Yeah, I mean, yeah. How much? How much were you feeling the poison? The poison, Dave, when you're watching, watching these? Because I also think that's a weird way of ranking them. <laughs> yeah, most <laughs> like, to least poisonous. Which is well, the most dangerous yeah. movie? Mine has <laughs> has a lot to do with the like circumstances of watching it. Which Silkwood might be the hardest to find movie we've covered. Mm. And and so the fact that I had to stream it from like some janky site w- in a in a browser, you're talking about Kurt Russell crying. And I'm like, when? Like, I didn't even catch that he was crying as yeah. he was walking through the house. So it's like that level of so Silkwood didn't make my skin crawl in that way. I would say most poisonous China syndrome and yeah. then Silkwood and then Aaron Brockovich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we get so little of the plant in Aaron Brockovich. Yeah. But another thing that I appreciate about Aaron Brockovich is, and I think it's most exemplified in that scene where she first uh, goes to the family who has the sick daughter, uh, who's like Mm -hmm. wearing a a scarf, uh, clearly had some chemotherapy. Um, the, The relationship to death in these movies, to death and illness, is mm-hmm. is least fluffed up in Aaron Brockovich, I think. Uh, yeah. Certainly less than Silkwood. Maybe China Syndrome, but mm-hmm. like I appreciate that Aaron Brockovich. That scene isn't played for like this poor girl. It's about like yeah. Aaron Brockovich, like relating to this girl Are and being you like, really? "You're a sweetie. Like it's so nice to meet you." And like they're just like, "Yeah, you might die. Like, yeah, I'm getting a history. I'm I'm gonna be without breasts and a uterus. Like." those Mm -hmm. things rather than just like Karen Silkwood it as far as we know at that point in the movie being hysterical that she's gonna die without even any like symptoms uh, of it you know it's 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 way more that aspect has less mellow there are more melodramatic aspects of Aaron Brockovich for sure but the relationship yeah. to mm-hmm. death is among the least melodramatic of the three well movies. because she's fine Right. You know, 
it, it's not yeah. it's not a personal like she's Look essentially an outsider yeah <laughs> she's healthy, <laughs> healthy. the number of times <laughs> that's we could we also rank the them hospital. with the number of times boobs are mentioned in the movie yes everybody's I mean, obviously number one but like so was chronological. a close second yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, Dave, you like the one with the most boobs. <laughs> with the most boobs. Hey, man. Sue me. Like, every scene is a banger. Sue me, bro. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Every, in every, every scene, scene I would bang her. Point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, me too. She's the beautiful woman. Should we? But, I think we're, I think if we're talking I about we're the bangability it. of, we might be at a, at a genre reveal point. So I wrote one I wrote one genre for all of them. Um but I think we could I think you could come up with like three subgenres beneath it, but it's the woman who knew too much. Oh, that's good. Um playing with the, the Hitchcock title, but it could be, you know, the tortoise mom who knew too much. The tortoise mom um, who knew too much. <laughs> the, the flasher, the martyr who knew, knew too, too much. much. I, don't, I don't know what we call Silkwood. Uh, um, the prostitute with the heart and, of gold who knew too much. Yes. The push-up bra expert <laughs> knew, who knew too, too much. much. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the woman who knew too much. Oh, I meant the prostitute with the heart of gold, Julia Roberts, who knew too much. Not, mm. not I know, yeah. And I do have a conspiracy theory that this is in fact a sequel to Pretty Woman, but set that aside. Okay, I like that. Because mm-hmm. I feel like every scene is that scene where Richard Gere takes her back to the place on Rodeo Drive. Every single scene is that scene. You know where she gets she gets turned away because she's a hooker at first. There's definitely, uh, I mean, there's definitely a lot of similar acting in Pretty Women, Pretty Woman, and Aaron Brockovich. Like, yes, like incensed at with- at your at the inju- like uh, self righteous earned self righteous back talk kind of. Yeah, yes. yeah, yes. yes, that okay. is, yeah, yeah. We're like, tell it, sister, like. You know, yeah. Show those cunts. You know, <laughs> I'm he here can, for it. You can buy you an outfit at Rodeo Drive. Fuck them bitches. Like I don't know. There's something about it that's like. What does she say when she when he energy. when Albert Finney tells her about? Um, not Albert. Is it Albert Finney? Yeah. Uh, when he tells her, um, you know, about her outfit, and she's like, "As long as I have one ass instead of two, I'll wear whatever I want." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was that just like it's a fat phobic like thing? A script. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, just a fat phobic. But I've never heard anyone be like talk about having double asses. I'm like, like, well, that's what she was saying. That's also the. Thing. That's what I'm saying. Like that could have been a more interest. A braver film would have actually looked at her relationship with those other women in the workplace because there's clearly like stuff around that and oh i would totally ways. hate her if I she's worked. judging them oh, yeah. because they're fat they're judging her because she wears see-through shirts and push-up bras 
You know, yeah. there's a lot of interesting material there. It just doesn't happen to. She's yeah. and we're supposed to kind of be like, let her wear her push-up bra, you fat bitch. Like <laughs> you stole my genre title. Yeah, okay. But I'm done. Phil, do you do you have your do. so your this genre? is one for all of them, but it's a line from Silkwood. Um, so mine is stand up girls. Um, so, um, the, not the Ron Silver union guy, but when she's in DC and he's like, um, the other guy is like, oh, well, if you have like a document and he's like, you can do that. You seem like a stand up girl. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and so I, I like that cause it kind of, you know, encapsulates their, all of these characters kind of self-righteousness and their like refusal yes. to, you know, um, kind of let these corporations off the hook but it also i think shows the manipulation of these powerful men around them um Mm -hmm. you know who are in a sense using them and also partnering with them but they're you know these women often or you know karen silkwood i mean all of them really have no choice but to like work with these horrible horrible men. men yeah yeah, I, I like that because I also like it, it in our heroes season. It both names the genre and the archetype. Mm, totally. Yeah, yeah. It's a genre. I think actually both of us are are doing that. Where our the genre is the archetype. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm definitely not. Okay, Dave. Mine is definitely not. Boobalicious. <laughs> They're called you're really, boobs, Ed. You're really throwing a lot at me in this one. I'm. I, um. Oh, darling. So I just remember that you confessed that you're an ass man in the Michael Douglas trilogy <laughs> episode. So I don't know if I don't know if I I I, I agree with the the well, separation of female body one. parts in that way. Uh, you're a one ass. Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna let me let me speak because my my genre. Re- he gives credit to you, Madeline. You came up with oh, this no. in this episode. Um, and oh, I no. think it's so perfect. It hit me so well. And it gives, it gives me a, I wasn't planning to do a separate genre for each movie, but there okay. is a literal flavor within the umbrella genre, which is all of these movies, I think are diet Coke cinema. Mm. And because diet Coke is it, it fucking hits the spot when you need yeah. it. It is a little bit, is it like too much of it? Or if you're not in the, in the mode for it, it, it is just like really stringent and you're like, it tastes very chemically, you know, it's mm-hmm. like r- relates to the, the power stuff. But in terms of the type of like, I think this also, you know, when it comes to movies that mix genres like this, so much of it, I feel like I'm always thinking about, and we're talking about movies like this don't get made anymore, you know? And the Mm -hmm. era when movies like this got made for me, like high school, late high school, early college was the peak of different flavors of diet Coke. Like, do you remember what a banger diet Coke with lemon was? That shit was so fucking good. I love the lemon. I I kind of like the lime. Uh, or, or no, no, I love them both, but I really liked the lemon. So 
Aaron Brockovich. I like the vanilla. Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, vanilla was good. Oh, that was too sweet for me. Um, <laughs> I, Aaron Brockovich is Diet Coke with lemon uh, because it's okay. just, it, it's the like peak of those to me. And it might be the most yellow movie ever to like the light mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. Uh, China yeah. Syndrome is Diet Coke movie. with lime. Still great. I, I still, okay. to be clear, really like China Syndrome. Um, okay. And because of the kind of neutering thing of Silkwood, I said that Silkwood is caffeine-free Diet Coke. Just that, oh. that brown can. You're like, <laughs> when is this going to be over? <laughs> <laughs> and I like it okay. I like Silkwood fine, but it's, it's, it's nowhere near the other two. So that's my... Madeline, thank you for, for providing yeah. that for me. Well, I would also say, I mean, oh, I love that. these women in a weird way, they have, they're not, all of them are not really fleshed out as actual people too much. Um, but all of them probably drink Diet Coke. Yes, totally. Yeah. Right. Like you can imagine like Aaron Brockovich car just being like filled with like <laughs> yeah. Diet Coke. Oh, they also have the most tan cars. Everyone has such a bland color of car. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I love it. I love the Diet Coke. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's all you. That was, that oh, was, man, I, I really, really want a Diet Coke right now. <laughs> And, and that brings us to our sponsor this week. Actually, oh, we yeah. are sponsored by uh, it's we're co-sponsored by Diet Coke and Kerr McGee this week. Um, mm-hmm. uh, nuclear nuclear power plant and a um, national multinational soda conglomerate. Uh, they love our podcast, and they they thought um, <laughs> you guys. Yeah, they heard what we were doing with Chester Cheeto, and they wanted to- <laughs> Chester Cheeto yeah, and Ghost Ghost Sour Patch Kids Energy Drink. Um. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's it. Phil, is there is you. there stuff that you anything you want to promote? Want people to check out? Um. Check out. Aaron Brockovich. Um, it's, <laughs> that's really good. Like, grab what yourself. Is, if it's not the self-titled, what is the best Sheryl Crow album? Um, I love the Globe Sessions. I mean, Tuesday Night Music Club is just obviously amazing. But I would say my favorite that kind of hits it is the Globe Session. Literally, um, it's the self-titled. Mm. Oh boy, I'm the person in this meeting who doesn't know the title of any <laughs> show. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, thank you uh, all. But she's not Jewel, and I can tell you all that. I can tell Jewel that they are two individuals. They're not the same. That's that's really big of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me, guys. That was, that was thank you so much, Bill. That was Bill. really great. That was such a good trilogy. <laughs> <laughs>